0: To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat, does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains, does so to the Lord, and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord." So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat it is written as surely as i live says the lord every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge god so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to god this is the word of the lord
1: well as i mentioned friends we're jumping back into this book of romans today after a couple of weeks break uh, if this is your first time with us in Romans, you, maybe you've been here at Christmas or New Year's, uh, warm welcome to you and as I said we're, we're picking up where we left off just before Christmas uh, at the start of chapter 14. Uh, but you, you might have heard of this joke, you might have heard of uh, uh, the story about a man on a desert island, uh, he lived there for a few years uh, and uh, after a number of years uh, he waves down a ship, a rescue ship came to Came to him and he had, there were three buildings on the island. And he was so happy to see the rescuers. They came on, and uh, uh, the man said, uh, You know, thank you, thank you for rescuing me and let me show you around my island. He said, This is my home. Uh, this building over here is my church. And then his rescuer said, well, What's that other building over on the other side of the island? And the man said, Oh, that's my old church. I didn't like the people there. Uh, well, as I said, <laughs> over the next few weeks, uh, it raises an important issue for us though, doesn't it? Over the next uh, few weeks in these chapters in Romans, Romans chapter 14 and 15, we're going to be looking at an issue, what we heard uh, talked about there and what the, uh, what the Apostle Paul calls disputable matters. Disputable matters. Matters of opinion, the kinds of things that can divide churches, uh, create distance or resentment between Christians, Uh, and kind of stop Christians working together. We we saw that in verse 1, where it said, "'Except the the one whose faith is weak without quarrelling over disputable matters.'" Friends, I think this will be an important few weeks for us as a church, Uh, important for our own life together, important for our witness uh, to the power of the gospel to really transform lives and to unite people who would otherwise not be united together. Um, uh, if you've been with us, hopefully this is familiar. If not, just to kind of fill you in on where we're up to in Romans. Uh, this section of Romans, this, the part of Romans we're in, this book of the New Testament of the Bible, is all about how the Gospel transforms everything about our lives. It's about the, the way the Gospel transforms us. Back in chapter 12, if you were here, you might remember this great opening of chapter 12 where it says, In view of God's mercy, in view of everything God has done, in which Paul has gone into depth about in the first 11 chapters of Romans, in view of all of that, keeping all that in mind, this is how your lives should change. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices to God. Uh, it, the gospel shapes and transforms all of life. And it does it for us as individuals, but it also does it uh, for Christian people as churches, gathered together as churches. It, uh, it does it for us as a church family. In, in the Bible, there's not really any such thing as a, a kind of churchless Christian. It just wouldn't make sense. Uh, we, and we saw that back in chapter 12. If you were here, uh, part of chapter 12, uh, this great description of the body of Christ. If you're in Christ, if your faith is in him and you're connected to him, then you just are already organically uh, united to his body. You're a part of his body. Joins to the other members, like you know, like your hand is joined to your arm. Uh, and we've seen over the last couple, uh, the last few weeks of Romans, when if you were here, we've seen Paul talk more generally about living well together, living well together in the light of the gospel, living lives of love for one another. But as we get to chapter fourteen, what we're going to focus on today, in chapter fourteen, Paul kind of zeroes in on a particular issue that the Christians in Rome were really struggling with. This a uh, gathering of, his, of Christian people who Paul was writing this letter. Paul zeroes in on a, on a particular issue they were struggling with. Uh, the issue had a particular kind of shape for the Christians in Rome, uh, but it is, in the end, a, an issue that all Christians uh, face. It's, a, it's an issue that will take different shapes for different times and different situations, but it's an issue that we all face. It's this issue over disputable matters, disputable matters, Uh, There are disputable matters that they're spending lots of energy and time sort of uh, quarrelling about and Paul doesn't want them to. He doesn't want them to do that. Well, what's going on here, friends? Uh, It's important for us to see what these disputable matters are and also what they're not. What's going on when Paul talks about don't get caught up over disputable matters, um, the Bible is very clear. It's important we do that because the Bible is very clear that there are some things that we should fight over. Actually, there are indisputable matters. Uh, when, people, uh, when people who call themselves Christian openly and unrepentantly live in ways that clearly go against the clear teaching of God's Word, that is not a disputable matter. And there's other places in the Bible uh, where you can read about that, 1 Corinthians 5, if you're interested to look that up later. That's not a disputable matter. It is sin against God and needs to be taken seriously, uh, not only individually, but as churches. Uh, it's an issue. It's not an issue that we can kind of agree to disagree on. Um, so these disputable matters aren't areas of morality that the Bible speaks clearly on. That's not what Paul's getting at. It's also not talking about really core gospel truths, doctrines, if you like, Uh, Core gospel truths that are are indisputable. They're not disputable matters. Gospel realities that are hills to die on. And if you want to follow it up again, you get these in other places like 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. Paul talking really strongly about um, maintaining the purity of the gospel. Uh, To help us out a little bit though, um, I'd like you to imagine a donut. A donut should appear on the screen behind us. Okay. Okay. This is uh, bear with me, uh, not just to make you feel hungry. Um, imagine a donut up on the up on the screen. Uh, on the outside of the donut, uh, you, we have what you might call matters of preference. Okay. So the next slide, matters. If you imagine matters of preference, kind of on the outside, uh, uh, kind of like things like what kind of ice cream you like, whether you like tea or coffee, even whether you have a beard or not. Um, for those not in the know, I shaved my. Be- I've had a beard for a long time. I shaved it off. I'm not, uh, still undecided. You can tell me, uh, the, don't tell me what you think. I'll just make my own mind up. But it's purely a matter of preference, right? It has no, absolutely no kind of significance, no right or wrong. Totally a matter of preference. Um, on the outside of the donut, right in the middle though, is what you might call the core, core Christianity. Um, a good place to start for what, kind of what's in there. These Indisputable matters, things that, hills that we die on. A good place to start are thing, places like the creeds, the creeds that we read out together. We read earlier the Apostles' Creed, uh, this um, universally accepted summary of the core doctrines of the Christian faith. A good place to start uh, would be those the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, things like God as Trinity, uh, Jesus' death as one that atones for our sin the physical resurrection of Jesus, all things that you, if you, you can't deny them and still be a Christian. Core Christianity. That's not what Paul's talking about here. It's not what, what's going on when he talks about in, about disputable manners. But there is, between these matters of preference and these, these core issues, there is the, the donut, okay? There is this ring that kind of uh, goes in the middle. It's an important category, disputable matters. We'll see that as we go through, these aren't just matters of preference. That is, they're not, they're, they are real issues. They have real theological kind of significance to them. <clears throat> they also have real answers to them. They have right or wrong answers to them. There is a right and a wrong way to look at them. But they're not in the core. They're not in the core. And faithful Christian people can and do disagree over them. Uh, for the Christians in Rome, and you would have picked this up if you were uh, uh, through the reading that we had. For the Christians in Rome, uh, these disputable matters, this the donut, all had to do with issues around food, uh, or uh, as well as issues around special days that they were, were keeping. Uh, probably, if you picked up this idea of. Uh, the weak and the strong. The, the issue, uh, uh, we've seen the issue before in Romans, this issue of uh, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians trying to get along, trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus together. Uh, probably the weak that we heard of, the weak in faith, uh, most likely here are Christians from a Jewish background. They were real Christians. They'd put their faith in Jesus. They weren't trying to earn their righteousness before God. But from their infancy as Jewish believers, before they came to faith in Christ, they had been brought up under the Old Testament law, including its laws about food and special days, and not just the Old Testament law, but all the traditions that they'd gathered uh, along the way as well. They'd just been brought up with them, uh, presumably, these people had heard about the apostles' teaching. They'd heard the apostles' teaching that all foods are clean, clean now because of Jesus. You know, the, the, the food laws of the Old Testament don't apply to Christian believers. They'd heard how the Old Testament religious calendar no longer governed the life of God's people because of Jesus. But uh, when they went to the church picnic, right, when they went along to the church picnic and they saw the Gentile Christians whacking the bacon on the barbie, it just felt wrong to them. It went against their conscience. And it was creating issues, big issues. It was creating tensions in the church. Those who called themselves the strong ones, those who called themselves strong ones in the faith, they looked down on those poor weaklings who had oversensitive consciences, Uh, and who weren't as enlightened as they were. They looked down on them. They kind of despised them. On the other hand, those who were called weak in the faith, presumably they didn't call themselves that. It's probably what the strong ones called them. Uh, On the other hand, they uh, probably thought of themselves as the faithful remnants, the, the really serious people. And when they saw those Gentile upstarts breaking all kinds of Old Testament laws, they judged them. Uh, So, both groups are kind of looking down on each other. Both groups are just the strong are despising the weak, the weak are judging the strong. Well, Paul's aware of this, he's aware that this is going on in the Roman church. It is interesting, though, isn't it? This is a significant issue in their church. He's only getting it to chapter 14. We've covered a lot of ground before here, which is why we need to keep all of that what's come before us in mind as we hear what Paul says here. Uh, He's going to get more specific, he's going to give, um, not next week, next week we're going to have another break in Romans, we've got a special week next week, little Asher Ellis is going to be dedicated and uh, we'll have a a particular, we won't be looking at Romans that week, Um, but the week after we'll return again and and when we get back to that, Paul's going to get more specific, he's going to get more specific about uh, some sort of advice for these Christians. Uh, but here in these verses, we're going to see his first response to this issue. This issue of this tension between these two groups of Christian people in the church. His first response. Uh, and he responds to it, not first by getting practical. Uh, he will get practical, more practical. He is practical in these verses, but he gets more practical later. But his main ish, uh, the main thing he wants to do for them is to address a really fundamental issue, the question of their identity the question of their identity, who they are. He knows that they need to know who they are and let that shape the way they relate to each other. And that's where it needs to start. He knows that if they grasp these things, these realities of their, their identity in Christ, if they let it shape them, that's going to transform the way they relate to each other. We well, can see, if you've got your hand out there, there's, a th- there's three things that he uh, works through in this passage that Paul um, really pu- pulls out for us. Uh, verses from the first three verses there this key to gospel unity knowing who you are who are you well the first three verses you have been welcomed by god i'll read from verse one accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters one person's faith allows them to eat anything but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. That word "accepts," God has accepted them. It's it's actually quite a strong word. It doesn't just mean God kind of rolls his eyes and puts up with them. You know, he doesn't kind of begrudgingly accept them. It's a much stronger kind of thing than that. God has welcomed them. God has embraced them. Welcome them. God hasn't just rolled his eyes, you see, to you and said, all right, I'll put up with you. He has warmly opened his arms to you and welcomed you into his family, into his kingdom, to you, you who in yourself were his enemy, you who don't deserve it at all. If there's one thing that Romans has been loud and clear on, it's that, right? To you, God has richly and graciously, not because of anything that you have done, welcomed you by his grace into his family. And that's the welcome God has given you. And if that's true, that's the welcome God has given that other Christian as well. That's the same welcome that God has given them that Christian that you might disagree with, that Christian you might have a feud with, the Christian you might just dislike. And if God has welcomed them, who are you to treat them with contempt? Who are you to judge them over these disputable matters? You have been welcomed by God. So welcome one another. That's Paul's first kind of point. This is the big Uh, identity shift that he wants the Roman Christians to let sink into them and shape the way they relate to each other. God has welcomed you, so welcome one another. But he goes deeper. He goes deeper and he talks about not just that God has welcomed us in the past, but what is it that God has welcomed us into? What has God welcomed us into? Well, you see, Christian people aren't just a kind of loosely connected group of individuals who, um, who... of people who like Jesus or something like that, we have been welcomed into a kingdom, a kingdom under one Lord. One Lord and Master, the risen Jesus. Verse 4, he goes on. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own minds. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. None of us lives for ourselves alone. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the the dead and the living. You see what Paul's saying here? Uh, You have been welcomed in the past. If you're a Christian person, that is in your past. Uh, if you're not a Christian person, God opens his welcoming arms to you every day. If you are a Christian, though, that has been hap- that's happened to you in the past, uh, if, you're, uh, if you are a Christian. Do you see what he's saying? You have been welcomed, accepted by God, and that has brought you into the kingdom of God, under Jesus as your king. If that's true of you then do you see what Paul's saying here? That's also true of that other Christian. They too have been welcomed into God's kingdom under Jesus as their king. That other Christian who you might quarrel with, be tempted to. Uh, Do you see Paul's outworking on this? I think this is just so great and uh, really liberating in the end. He says, each one should be fully convinced in their own mind remember this is we've got to keep remembering this this is not core issues we're not talking about indisputable things things uh, the moral issues the bible clearly teaches on we're not talking about core issues of the gospel we're talking about these disputable matters and paul says each one of you should be clearly convinced in your own mind so liberating i think Uh, If our eyes are not primarily on each other, primarily, if, if our eyes are not on each other, what someone else might think of me, if our eyes are primarily on our Lord, if our eyes are primarily on the Lord, on Jesus, our good and gracious Lord who died for us and has welcomed us into his kingdom, then our primary desire won't be to please each other, it'll be to please him. Not in a kind of anxious way, we are already accepted, but because we're already accepted, to please Him, and what, whether that other person hoes into the bacon at the church barbecue or just goes for the veggies, whether they clearly set apart one day as special or not, leave that between them and God. Don't despise or judge them if they choose a different path from you. You are not their Lord jesus is Uh, on the flip side to that though uh, you yourself do you see what paul's saying you yourself each one of us be fully convinced in our own mind i don't think this means in a kind of argumentative arrogant kind of a way that doesn't seem to be the flavor of what paul's getting at not be kind of uh judgmental in the way you do it or arrogant or argumentative Uh, Be fully convinced in your own mind, because you too sit under one Lord. You too sit under Jesus as your Lord. Do you see what's going on here? These disputable matters, uh, in these disputable matters, you have people who are fully convinced, who come to different conclusions, different views, but still... Paul says, Paul wants them to be happily living together in unity because they respect the fact that each of each of us, each of them, live under Jesus' Lordship, not the lordship of each other. Well, he takes it even further again in verse ten. Uh, not only have we been welcomed in the past, not only do to today we sit under one Lord, under Jesus, and we will in the future appear before one judge. Verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Uh, I think it's meant to be sobering to hear that, for us to hear that, but not anxiety-producing, not kind of frightening. We are already accepted in Christ. If you're in Christ, we've heard in Romans already, there is no condemnation for you. Nothing will separate you from God's love. Paul's not saying this to kind of scare us, but simply as a a sobering reality, as as a reality. We all stand individually before God. Not only do we each have one Lord, we will appear before one judge. And so Paul says, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? Uh, Friends, this was a real issue for the church in Rome, wasn't it? Part of the reason, perhaps, I think, for them, uh, and for Christian people through the ages, actually, part of the reason we can tend to do this is, I think, because we have our eyes more on each other than on our Lord. Uh, this can mean, that, that, that can mean that we we can judge each other. There are, there are times to, there are moments where we need to exercise judgment and we've already talked about those moments, right? There are right moments <laughs> of judgment in God's church. Um, but a judgmental kind of spirit can creep in. Uh, it can also work the other way. It can mean that we can kind of create cliques of people who prop each other up because we've got our eyes more on each other than on our Lord. We can have opinions, not because we ourselves have been fully convinced in our mind that that's where we think we sit, before the Lord, but because the people around us have those opinions. Uh, Because we're the truly free ones, not like those legalists over there. Or because we're the really pure ones, the truly devoted Christians, not like those worldly ones over there. No, that's not who you are. That's, that's not who you are. Ultimately, uh, that's not your identity. Your identity is you are the Lord's. You are accountable to him. You have been welcomed into his kingdom purely by grace. You stand only by grace, not by anything you do, just like every other Christian person. Well, friends, uh, not many of us will have the same issues Uh, as the church faced in Rome uh, 2,000 years ago. Not many of us are going to face those kind of same issues. We haven't really spent a lot of time going into what these disputable matters might look like for us today. Hopefully we'll get more kind of into that uh, in future weeks as we look into the rest of this uh, little passage. But it's not too hard to start to figure some things out, though, is it? Uh, Things over which gospel-hearted Christian people come to different convictions about Uh, perhaps it's a matter of conduct maybe how you express yourself um, what you have in your lunchbox Uh, maybe how you express yourself in in our gathering together how you dress how you engage with popular culture Um, this came home to me kind of recently i um, i just find it increasingly difficult to uh, watch most of what's on on tv it just sort of goes against my conscience Um, i I have really mature there you know there's some shows i really like and i think are good for me but i have really mature christian friends who i trust uh, are gospel-hearted bible-loving people who have a very different approach to me on that they don't find the same kind of attitude to that they find it a way a good way of engaging with culture understanding it appreciating the art of storytelling it doesn't seem to raise the same issues for them, and I trust that they're doing that with their eyes on the Lord. I just know that for me, and perhaps this is kind of where I'm a bit of a weaker brother on that level, I just know it's not helpful for me, so I kind of steer clear of that. It's not an issue of uh, kind of gospel truth. Maybe it's one of these disputable... But it could be an issue of conduct. It, it can also, though, in, in, among Christian people, and probably uh, just as frequently, be an issue of doctrine, of, of belief about these secondary um, sort of disputable matters. Um, I'll rattle off a few. (laughs) And, you know, if they spark something for you, maybe we can chat later. Uh, How you understand the relevance of the Old Testament law for Christians. What you make of the millennium in Revelation. Whether Genesis 1 ought to be read as a scientific description or more of a theological and poetic reflection. Uh, When and how God's people ought to be baptised. I could go on. (laughs) The list will go on and on, right? Um, Each of those things are real significant theological issues. They each each do have a right and a wrong answer. And when we get to glory, we'll finally find them out. But they are not core. And gospel-hearted, Bible-loving Christians do and can come to different opinions about them. We can be fully convinced in our own minds, because we know we stand before the Lord, and this is where I think I ought to stand before him, without judging our brother or sister. We can come to, not only without judging them, but warmly embracing them as our brother or sister in Christ. Because we know that God has welcomed that other person. God has welcomed them. Who are we to not welcome them? Uh, they are—they the, are His servant, not ours. And they will stand before God and give an account. And so will you. So will I. So will each of us. Next time, uh, as I said, Paul does get more practical, but he starts here, understanding who we are, what our identity is, letting it shape how we relate to each other. Is for Paul. Uh, The key, actually, one of the keys to a church that is united, a church that reflects God's welcoming love to each other and to the world around us. Lots to think through there and lots to process. I'm going to pray for us, though, as we do. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself. You have welcomed us to yourself, that we, through Jesus, we are your children, we are your servants in your kingdom. Father... Thank you for the news that not only have you reconciled us to yourself, you have also reconciled us to each other. Father, give us hearts that reflect your welcoming love to each other. Father, keep us from a kind of arrogant judgmentalism, or on the other hand, a kind of despising and looking down on other people, other Christian people. Give us real wisdom to know what is in the core, Father, and to hold firmly to that and not give up on that. Uh, but give us the humility, we pray, the gospel-centered humility uh, to relate to each other about these disputable matters in a way that glorifies you, in a way that recognizes your lordship over this church, over us, and that looks forward uh, to your coming day when all things will be made new and that all of us will stand before you. Father, we pray that this will be a great witness to the world around us as they see uh, this church bound together in the gospel, loving each other, even in our differences, embracing each other through Jesus. And we pray that for your glory in his name. Amen.